welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, it's brought to you by the letters A, F, C, and A, which sounds a little like R-E-S-P-E-C-T, but without any of the actual respect. A is for AFCA, the AFCA member forums causing a bit of a stir around claims handling. F, there's no F in idea, but that's no indictment of how we expect the government to commit to a rolling 10-year plan for resilience spending. C, I told you so. And the final A could stand for affordability or accessibility, but possibly not here in Australia. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by senior journalist Bernice Han, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, editor John Deeks, and chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, John. Good morning. You're uh, playing the roving reporter role this week. That's right. I was up in Lismore, New South Wales, talking to people one year after the devastating floods that we had last year. All right. And hello, Bernice. Hi, Andrew. And hello, Wendy. Hi, Andrew. So you're running a tight ship while uh, John's away? <laughs> Probably wasn't tight enough, actually. <laughs> My glad he's back. <laughs> <laughs> and hello, Terry. G'day there, Andrew. I'm looking forward to goading you to some classic input about the industry today. Oh, I'm being very gentle today. Oh, that's not what the listeners want to hear. <laughs> but anyway, first to you, John. AFCA held member forums last week and talked about claim handling delays and the problems it's facing. What did I have to say? Yes, that's right. So there was a um, virtual member forum last week. This included a session on general insurance from lead ombudsman insurance, Emma Curtis. And she talked about the, the rising number of complaints that there are about insurance at the moment and the fact that most of those complaints are to do with claim handling. However, she says it's not just about natural catastrophes. We've reported in the past that insurers have had trouble keeping up with uh, claims from, you know, 200,000 and more from from the floods and so on. But she says this this issue is sort of extending across all all the types of claim and type of product. So, yeah, that was interesting. We also heard from the CEO and chief ombudsman, David Locke, who gave a keynote address and said that 2023 is going to be a big year for Africa. He said it was going to be a transformational year, actually. He also referenced the rising complaints numbers. So just to put that in perspective, he's he's saying that this financial year, there could be 100,000 complaints to Africa. And that compares to 72,000 the year before. Uh, there's been a 64% increase in general insurance complaints. And AFCA itself is having trouble keeping up. So AFCA has got a, a plan to take on more staff, use technology more efficiently, so that there are not too many delays in its system. Now, he points the finger at insurers a fair bit as well and says that you know part of the reason for the delays at AFCA are the problems that insurers are having in dealing with the disputes in the first place. You know, there's internal dispute resolution that comes first. And also the way that insurers respond to AFCA, you know, sometimes insurers just aren't playing ball. They're not uh, responding to AFCA's demands and, and requests for information. And that puts the whole thing back. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty fraught situation at the moment, I'd say. Terry, what do you think about the situation? Are insurers not putting enough focus on complaints handling? Or is there more they could be doing at the moment so issues don't go to AFCA? A bit of all of that, I'd guess. AFCA's made it 
clear that while the vast number of flood claims has has been a big issue for claims staff, there's room for improvement because other types of claims are also being held up. Maybe that's because everybody's working on flood claims. I don't know. But I was around this industry many, many years ago when the first disputes body was set up and operating. And I have to tell you, the review process is very thorough, so it can be time-consuming and complicated, which really doesn't help insurance companies when they're trying to get through so much work. I realise claim disputes are deeply personal for householders in particular, and I guess in this age where we have technologies that can write better than many people, maybe we should be talking about ways to standardise more of the dispute processing work to bypass humans who are really only essential when it comes to decision making and that should be pretty easy if the technology has given you all the facts and the results of of maybe previous relevant internal and and AFCA decisions. Maybe they already do that but, but I doubt it. What we should do is really try and get a reporter to spend a day in a large claims department and see just how tough it is in there right now. So be nice guys otherwise it'll be you well on claims the claims cost from new zealand's recent weather disasters are still rising Denise, what does swiss catastrophe data firm perils have to say about the auckland flooding yeah so perils uh, released its initial loss estimate for the auckland flooding so it's around 1.65 billion new zealand dollars that's about 1.53 in Aussie dollars 1.53 billion so uh the data it, it's based on the property lines of business and it's collected from the majority of the New Zealand insurance market. So uh, it covers Auckland, obviously, and the neighbouring regions and it's for the event from January 27 to 2nd. Perils expects to provide another update in May and as we've previously reported, this flood is the largest uh, weather-related insured loss event in New Zealand. And uh, Paris says it's uh, the third largest uh, CAT event for the insurance sector. When you compare it with, say, um, the uh, Canterbury quakes of 2010-11 and then the Kaikura quake in 2016. Well, still, it looks like the continual flooding of disasters in Australia and New Zealand in recent times might be about to come to an end, John. What's the Bureau of Meteorology's latest on the possible swing to an El Nino? And what could that mean? Yeah, so I think the first thing to say is that La Nina is finished. We had three La Ninas in a row, as you know, and some of those were linked to some pretty horrific flood events over the last few years. So the La Nina's done, and it doesn't look like there's any chance of a fourth La Nina developing. I, I don't think that's ever happened either. So, yeah, we can put that one to bed. However, the bad news is it looks like we might quite swiftly switch into the opposite weather condition of El Nino, as you say, which instead of floods could bring us heat waves and bushfires and uh, other nasty events like that. Now, insurers, I believe, fear La Nina more than El Nino because flooding is 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 usually more expensive than bushfires but really what we could all do with is just just some some nice calm conditions for a good while now as far as floods go even under el nino conditions you you can never rule out anything in australia so we certainly can't get complacent but yeah it will i guess be good news for those communities that have suffered repeated flood events over the last couple of years well, either way, mitigation and resilience spending is still a focus, isn't it, Wendy? 
What's the ICA pushing for in its submission to the federal government ahead of the May budget? In the October budget last year, Labor provided resilience funding of $200 million a year for five years, which is an amount the industry had been seeking for quite a while. But, you know, there's an end date on that. So the ICA wants the um, arrangement to be changed to this rolling 10-year funding program and also for that amount to be uh, indexed for inflation so it doesn't get eroded over time. So that's sort of the main thing in their submission. But there's also a raft of other things they're pushing for as well, including action on construction codes, building standards and cyber risks, and that as part of the federal and state financial relations, the government should consider incentives to encourage the states to get rid of insurance taxes. All right, Terry, well, let me wind you up and let you go. It's the answer our listeners are here for. Do you think they will be successful in getting the government to commit to a rolling 10-year plan for resilient spending that's indexed of inflation? And is that what they should be doing? Look, it's what it should be doing. And I'm, I'm sure we'd have commitment to put drains, dams and levees everywhere at a cost that no one would notice of it all, or really at all if we could only work out how to link any commitment to the environment to the to the AUKUS submarine project. This government's a lot more switched on in the links between global warming and extreme weather, to be fair, and they do understand the impacts that it can have on Australia, but it doesn't mean that they really are going to commit to anything expensive in the long term if it isn't nuclear-powered. Right. Well, we often talk about general insurance affordability and accessibility, particularly for people in high-risk flood-prone areas, but Bernice, a Swiss Re report has been negative about Australia when it comes to life insurance, hasn't it? Yes, that's right. So Swiss Re did this uh, report uh, called the uh, Life and Health Inclusion Radar. 16 economies were part of the study and Australia was one of them. And based on the scores compiled by Swiss Re, uh, Australia came in seventh. And for our listeners who want to know what Australia's score is, it's 0.52. So basically a score of one means a high level of inclusion and zero the opposite. So the scores are measured around availability, accessibility, and affordability. So um, the top three spots went to the US, Japan, and Canada. South Africa and India, two of 11 uh, emerging economies that were included in the study, Place fourth and six, so they, they did much better than Australia. And um, Swiss Re says Australia fared quite badly when it came to accessibility and availability. And the reason Swiss Re says it's probably due to the regulatory changes after the Hain Royal Commission that were designed to prevent high pressure selling and misrepresentation. But there's some good news. Uh, Swiss Re thinks that things may improve pending the government's response to the quality of advice final reports uh, recommendations. Well, when I was at uni, I'd consider that a conceded pass. Finally, Wendy, what is the latest news from Petshaw? Petshaw's a Hollard-owned pet insurer. And up until last week, they operated under Hollard's APRA general insurance licence, but it's now got its own separate licence and says it's actually the first APRA-licensed insurer dedicated only to to, uh, pet health and that this will give it greater flexibility and independence. Well, Terry, is that a reflection of the rising demand for pet insurance? How does it help to be more independent from the parent company? I think there's a lot of advantages in doing what they've done, getting a a separate license. And it it is an indication that Hollard does see that the the pet organisation has the bulk now to operate as a separate asset. Richard Enthoven, the, the founder of Hollard in this region, is quite possibly the smartest person in the industry, I've always thought. He's certainly the shrewdest, which is different from just being smart. And yes, pet insurance is a growth market, 
and Petur holds really a dominant bulk of it's it's got so many white labels out there it's extraordinary so having those separate operations standing on its own really will give Hollard a great deal of flexibility going forward in the way that it uses it or or can can actually run it independently it's going to be interesting to watch well i had a wonderful pet based pun but i'm not going to do it this week that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Spinney's Han, Wendy Pugh and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google and all your favourite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.